So today we're going to talk about, I had to get that out. Sorry, it was just in me. I had to get it out. Um, Today we're going to talk about sacrifice. And so uh, one thing about sacrifice that I want you to know before we get into the message is the word sacrifice, sometimes we think sacrifice is a punishment, right? How many of you, right off the bat, when you hear the word sacrifice, you think negative? It's something negative. Who would? Yes, just, okay, three of us. Um, Most people think sacrifice is something negative, but in reality, sacrifice has nothing to do with punishment at all. And so I want to get that out of the way first, because here's what the definition of sacrifice is. A sacrifice is the surrender or destruction of something prized or desirable for the sake of something considered more important or worthy. In other words, it's me being able to surrender or give up something that could be valuable to me. It could be desirable to me for the sake of something even better or of more worth later on. And that's really all a sacrifice is. And, and we talk about the sacrifice of Jesus. And Easter's all about the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. And, and we say that over and over and over in church and at Easter and, and throughout the year. But I think a lot of times we don't really understand what does it mean when we talk about the death of Christ. What does it mean to talk about that He died for my sins? I heard a, um, a, a friend of mine commented on, on Facebook the other day and she was talking about um, could you please, talking about her, her kids, uh, Sunday school teachers or, or daycare teachers, and she said, could you please stop telling my young child that Jesus died for their sins because my kid doesn't understand the concept of someone dying for them and it makes them very sad. They don't understand the joy of it. And as I read that, I thought most adults don't understand the concept of someone dying for their sins. We read the story, we hear the sermon, but it doesn't necessarily always register to us what that means. And so I want to give us a quick little history lesson. Um, I'll, I'll jump to the Bible real quick and then we'll get into sacrifice. But, but what, was, what was sacrifice in the Bible? Like what was the point of a sacrifice back in the day? And, and as a matter of fact, sacrifices started in the book of Genesis right from the very beginning. The Bible says God created man and woman and, and everything was perfect and everything was wonderful. And man and woman decide to ruin it all. Right. They sin because their desire got the best of them. They disobey God. And when they disobey God, sin comes into the world. The Bible says that there was a point that man and woman, Genesis three, uh, I mean, Genesis two twenty five says they were naked and not ashamed. In other words, they, they were um, fully vulnerable and they weren't ashamed of anything. Right. How many of you have a kid uh, that is naked and not ashamed? Anybody have one of those kids? I've got one. I need him to grow out of it, right? He's 11 and he'll still come out of the shower with no clothes on and walk through the house to go to his room. And I'm like, dude, you got to, you got to cover it up, like cover all that stuff up. Don't be doing that anymore. Cause one day you're going to be 18 and you're going to get arrested for that. Like you can't do that. Like at some point that has to stop. And, and so Adam and Eve, they were naked and not ashamed. They were completely vulnerable and, and they were not ashamed of anything. But the Bible says they sinned. And when they sinned, they begin to try to find a way to cover up their shame. The Bible says that they grab leaves and they begin to cover themselves up. And, and that's a lot like us today. We, we, we sin, we have problems, we have issues, and we're very shameful of our, of our problems. There's a, there's a difference between guilt and shame. Guilt means I'm sorry for what I've done, but shame means I feel bad for who I am. And that's what sin does to you. Sin does that to us. It makes us feel bad for who we are. And Adam and Eve tried on their own to cover it up. And that's what we do today. We we try on our own to cover up our shame and to hide our shame. But in reality, there's nothing we can do to fix our shame. 
There's nothing we can do to fix our sin. And so the Bible says in Genesis 3.21 that the Lord God made clothing from animal skins for Adam and his wife. God Himself had to sacrifice an animal. First time we ever hear of anything dying, God Himself has to sacrifice an animal to do what? To cover the shame of Adam and Eve. They were in shame. God covers them with the sacrifice. Then we fast forward to the book of Leviticus. And the book of Leviticus says this in 1711. It says, For the life of a creature is in the blood, and I have given it to you to make atonement for yourselves on the altar. It is the blood that makes atonement for one's life. The word atonement is a word we don't use very often nowadays. But the word atonement just means to cover. And blood was life. And so what God is saying here is He's saying, Listen, there's this place where you can sacrifice an animal to cover your sins. I did it in the book of Genesis, and I'm giving it to you again in the book of Leviticus. And he's saying, look, if you've got sins, you can take this animal that you value very much. You can take an animal that's, that's worth a lot to you, and you can sacrifice this animal on the altar, and it will cover your sins. Its blood will cover your sins. So in other words, when I look at your sin, I don't see your sin anymore because the payment for that sin, the Bible says the payment for sin is death. And God says the payment for your sin is paid in that animal's life. That's why they would also take the blood in those days. And if there was anything impure or anything that they felt like was sinful or bad, they would sprinkle blood on it to represent, to symbolize. It wasn't that the actual physical blood did anything, but it symbolized the covering, the cleansing power of the blood. And so this is all Old Testament. But then we fast forward again into the New Testament where Jesus shows up on the scene and Jesus dies on the cross as a sacrifice for our sins. He was the animal whose skin covered Adam and Eve. He was the, he was the lamb uh, that, was, that was put on the altar as atonement for our sins. And, and here's what the Bible says in 1 John chapter 2, verse 2. It says, He Himself is the sacrifice that atones, there's that word atones, covers our sins. And not only our sins, but the sins of all the world. So today, before we get into sacrifice, before we start talking about what does it mean for us to live a life of sacrifice, what does it mean that Christ made a sacrifice, I need you to understand what what does it mean to actually be a sacrifice, that his sacrifice has purpose and it's a plan, and his sacrifice has to do with our sins, our problems, our missing the mark, right? It's it's whenever we choose, I was was talking to someone yesterday about, about the idea of um, what does it mean to, to, to really uh, be saved and, and, and serve God? And I said, it's kind of like a GPS, right? Like a GPS tells you exactly where to go. It, it gives you a destination that you need to get to. And God has a destination for each and every one of us. And that destination is heaven, right? That destination is with him. But the problem is sometimes we choose to get off of that path, right? Have you ever put in your GPS? I remember when GPS first came out. Like, like when we first really started using GPS, yes, I'm that old, and, um, and we first started really using GPS in our car, and I remember I could not trust the GPS. Anybody else that way? I was like, I've driven this way. I know you're that way, Dad. My dad's still that way. Um, my dad will look at the GPS. It'll say it'll take you 15 minutes to get there. He'll be like, no, I can get there in 10 if I go this other way. 30 minutes later, he made it, right? He made it. And so we don't trust the GPS and we choose to go our own direction. We don't trust God's plan because God's plan takes us a direction that maybe we don't like. And so we choose to go a different direction. And that's where sin steps in is when God tells Adam and Eve, do not eat of this tree. And they choose to do it anyway. When we disobey God's plan, that's when sin comes in. And so we're thankful that Jesus covers that sin through his sacrifice.
And so today, what we want to talk about is what does it mean to follow him? Because here's the thing. My goal for you today is not to be a Christian. There's lots of Christians out there. There's lots of churches out there, lots of people out there that call themselves Christians because they include the name Jesus Christ somewhere in their belief system. Doesn't mean they're Christians, right? Doesn't mean they're a follower of Christ. It just means they've labeled themselves. They, they've put on a good label. They, 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 it doesn't mean that they're really doing what he asked them to do. There's this, this whole variety of Christianity throughout the world today, and, and they're not serving God. See, Jesus never called anyone to be a Christian. Jesus always called people to be a follower. He never said, I want you to learn about me. He said, I want you to follow me. He never said, I want you to go to church with me. He said, I want you to follow me. And to follow Christ means to do what he does, to live like he lives. And so, so a couple of things I want you to think about is in, in our world today, we've made becoming a Christian more important than becoming a follower. We've made becoming a church member more important than becoming a follower. We've told you that it's so easy to be a Christian. All you got to do is at the end of the message, if you'll just raise your hand, if you'll pray the prayer, if you'll get out the little card and check the little box that today I became a Christian, then all of a sudden all your problems will be gone. And from here on out, you can stay the same. You can live your truth and your life will be perfect and hunky dory. And one day you'll be in heaven. And the Bible never says any of that. The Bible doesn't say one thing about, about praying the prayer or checking off a checkbox. Pretty sure they didn't have checkboxes back in those days. Didn't have pens. So so, so there's none of that stuff is happening. There's no magic formula to becoming a Christian. Jesus never said become a Christian. Jesus said become a follower. And here's the thing that's so crazy about me is that Jesus made it very clear that to follow him meant to live a life of sacrifice. He made it very clear that following him wasn't always going to be easy. As a matter of fact, here's three things that in, in today, listen, I'm really sorry. Again, apologize for myself. Um, I don't always do this, but today I I am going to have three things. I'm going to say three things, three different times. Super weird. I don't know why I did it. I don't know why my sermon ended up that way, but that's just how it happened. Okay. Um, And so there's three things today that Jesus said about following him. The first thing is this. He said to follow him, something has to change. We tell people all the time, you don't have to change a thing. God loves you just the way you are. And he does love you the way you are. But at the end of the day, he doesn't want to leave you the way you are. Last week, if you were with us, we talked about a man that was beaten up, bloody, and and left in a ditch. And, And listen, there was a lot of church people that loved him the way he was. And they left him the way he was. They walked right past him. But Jesus isn't that way. Jesus doesn't want to love you just the way you are. He wants to also change you to be more like him. And so, so here's what he says in John three, verse three, it says, and Jesus replied, I tell you the truth. I'm not going to lie to you unless you are born again, you cannot see the kingdom of God. I love the fact that he uses these definitive terms. He doesn't say maybe he's not wishy washy. He says, unless you're born again, unless something is transformed and changed, unless there's a metamorphosis that happens, you cannot see the kingdom of God. He never says, as long as you stay the same, everything's going to be fine. No. No, he's loving, but he's firm. And he's got conviction about what he's saying. And he says, unless you're born again, unless something changes, unless there's transformation. Listen, there, uh, how many of you ever raised a caterpillar when you were a kid? Anybody? Do, okay. Okay. I'm the weird one here. I already knew it coming in. When I was a kid, I caught a caterpillar. Not hard to catch. Super slow animals, right? All you got to do to catch a caterpillar is find one 
and then you just grab it and put it in a jar, put a lid on it, and it suffocates and dies. So then you can grab another one and you put it in a jar with a leaf and poke some holes in it, and then you poke a hole into the caterpillar and it dies. So the third time around, you put that caterpillar in the jar, the hole's already poked in the jar, and so you put the lid on it, and then he lives. And then one day that caterpillar gets tired of just sitting around, being lazy, moving slow, and eating leaves. And that caterpillar says, you know what? I want to do something different with my life. That caterpillar says, I want to fly. I'm tired of walking around. I want to learn how to fly. And not only do I want to fly, I don't want to eat all these old just green leaves. I want to go drink the nectar of the most beautiful flowers in the world. And so that caterpillar turns into a cocoon. He covers himself with a cocoon. And he goes through this process called metamorphosis and transformation. And out blooms a really ugly moth. Well, that's what happened with me. And, um, but normally, a, a, a beautiful butterfly comes out. And that butterfly flies off. And that butterfly's life is totally different. In order for the caterpillar to turn into the butterfly, he has to sacrifice his old lifestyle. Everything has to change for him. He doesn't get to keep uh, one aspect of his old. He says, nothing stays the same for me. I'm not going to live the way I used to live. There's got to be a new creation in me. I, I have to be born again, brand new. And that's what Jesus says to us. He says, you got to be born again if you want to see the kingdom of God. There has to be a sacrifice made. Not only the sacrifice of Christ. We talked about that. There's a sacrifice in us. I have to sacrifice some aspects of my life in order to see the kingdom of God. Number two, he says this. He says his way isn't easy. His way isn't easy. In Matthew chapter 7, verses 13 and 14, he says you can enter God's kingdom only through the narrow gate. The highway to hell is broad and its gate is wide for many who choose that way. But the gateway to life is very narrow and the road is difficult and only a few ever find it. Jesus was not very good at getting people really excited about following him, right? He's like, listen, there's a bunch of y'all going to go to hell. But a few of you are going to listen to what I'm saying. And you're going to follow. See, right off the bat, you guys are like, wait, what? That's, this is what Jesus said. He said the way to hell is easy. Anybody can go to hell. The way to heaven is narrow and it's difficult. And not a lot of people are going to choose to follow that way. Because why? Because it requires sacrifice. It requires sacrifice. How many times have we looked on the internet, anytime you're on um, Instagram or Facebook or whatever, and someone is promising you a very quick fix to your health. If you'll just take this pill, drink this drink, uh, mix this shake, then all of a sudden you're going to lose 30 pounds and you'll be healthy and everything's going to be great and it'll be wonderful. And they don't tell you about the part where you've got to go work out. Like you've got to show up at the gym. You have to move your body. They don't tell you about the part where you can't sit around eating Dunkin' Donuts all day and still expect to keep those gains. Why? Because sacrifice has to be made if you're going to follow a narrow path. Sacrifice has to be made if you're going to follow a narrow path. Number three, Jesus said this. He said, if you want to be my follower, you need to first consider the cost. You know what we tell people in church? We say, everybody ought to follow Jesus. You're all going to love it and it's going to be great. Don't even worry about it. If you'll just lift your hand and then magically poof, you're a Christian. It's easy. Jesus said, no, 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 no. Don't follow me right now. You're not ready to follow me. He said, you need, to, you need to think about what you're getting yourself into. Consider the cost. 
Jesus wasn't good at growing a church. If Jesus was here today, he would not have a big church. We think he would, but he uses these terrible terms. Luke 14, 25. He says this, large crowds were traveling with Jesus. Right off the bat, he's got the biggest crowd you can have. And turning to them, he said, if anyone comes to me and does not hate his father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, even their own life, such a person cannot be my disciple. And whoever does not carry their cross and follow me cannot be my disciple. Jesus wasn't interested in having a crowd. He was interested in having followers. He was interested in people being willing to sacrifice everything they had. Gabriel, you said that that Jesus said we have to hate people. But God is love. God is love. But, But if you want to understand the scriptures, he's not saying you literally have to hate people. He's saying your love for him has to be so big. He has to be such a priority that everything else is second in comparison. Everything else All other loves are like hate in comparison. He's saying, you got to love me with everything you've got. You can't love me and still hold on to old life. You can't love me and still hold on to old things. You can't love me and still have all these other things happen in your life. He said, when you love me, you got to love me. you got to love me with everything you've got. Yes, you can have a wife. We know Peter had a wife. Yes, you can have kids. We know some of the disciples did. But he's saying, you've got to love me with everything that you've got. So much so that everything else pales in comparison. He's saying, count the cost. Verse 28, suppose one of you wants to build a tower. Once you first sit down and estimate the cost to see if you have enough money to complete it. For if you lay the foundation and are not able to finish it, everyone who sees it will ridicule you, saying this person began to build and wasn't able to finish. Or suppose a king is about to go to war against another king. Won't he first sit down and consider whether he is able with 10,000 men to oppose the one coming against him with 20,000? If he's not able, will he then send a delegation while others are still a long ways off and ask for terms of peace? In the same way, those of you who do not give up everything you have cannot be my disciples. Multiple times people would try to follow him. One kid showed up and said, Jesus, I want to follow you. I I, I, I obey all the commandments. I do everything I'm supposed to do. And Jesus said, all right, cool, man. Go sell everything you've got and give it to the poor. You know he's not a preacher today because a preacher today would say, go sell everything you got and give it to me, right? But he said, go sell everything you got and give it to the poor. He said, give it all away. Let's see what you got. And And the man said, no, 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 I can't do that. I'm very rich. I got lots of stuff. And the guy walked away. One guy comes up to Jesus and says, Jesus, I want to follow you. I'll go anywhere you go. And Jesus says, that's cool, man. Let's do it. He said, but just so you know, uh, the son of man, talking about himself, doesn't even have a place to lay his head. In other words, I don't have a permanent home. I'm a traveling preacher. I'm camping out right now. And the guy walks away. Jesus says, you got to count the cost of following me. It's not just about showing up at church on a Sunday morning and and putting on some nice clothes. It's, It's about living a life that's different than what you've ever done. And I know today you probably wanted to hear a really good, feel-good message about resurrection. And we'll talk about it, but I want you to count the cost of why you're here. What is it God is really speaking to you today? So, one more three. My second three. Three ways we sacrifice. So how do I sacrifice? What do I need to do to sacrifice? I'm not going to go kill an animal, Right? I'm not going to smear blood on my doorpost like they did in, in the book of Exodus. So what do I do to sacrifice? What is it that I'm supposed to do? If I'm supposed to follow Christ and Jesus says you take up your cross every day, if Jesus says I've got to sacrifice for him, what is it that I can need to sacrifice? Well, one, one way we sacrifice, and I'm just giving you three ways. There's, there's probably a, a thousand ways you can sacrifice. But one way we sacrifice is through repentance. 
It's a word we use a lot at our church. We want it ingrained it into, into our culture um, because we don't want it to be seen as bad. We want it to be seen as regular. And here's what the word repentance is. The, the word repentance means that I turn from my old ways and I turn towards God. I, I leave everything behind and I have a transformation. The word metamorphosis is used in here. I, I transform the way I think to not think the way I used to think, but to think the way God thinks. Psalm 51, 16 and 17 David is the guy writing this psalm, a guy named King David. David has just committed the worst sins. I mean, the guy has just done some really terrible stuff. He slept with another man's wife, and whenever the, the, um, before the other man could find out that he slept with his wife, he had the other man murdered. Terrible. Adultery and murder all in the same, in the same time frame by the same guy. And God calls him out on it, and when God calls him out on it, he immediately repents, he's immediately brokenhearted, and here's what he says. He says in verse 16, You do not desire a sacrifice, or I would offer one. You do not want a burnt offering. He says in verse 17, The sacrifice you desire is a broken spirit. You will not reject a broken and repentant heart, O God. When I repent, I'm sacrificing my pride and my sinful desires for God's way. Repentance should be something that happens to us. Now, hopefully none of you guys are committing adultery and planning on murdering somebody. Let's not do that, right? But think about how bad that is. You may look at your life, and you may look at some of the things you did this past week. You may look at some of the things you've done in your past, and you're you're like, man, I've got this shame. What do I do about it? I repent. I repent. And when I repent, I'm sacrificing my sins. I'm sacrificing my desires. I'm sacrificing my ways. I'm sacrificing my old life. Why? Because I want to turn towards Christ. I want a metamorphosis. I want a transition. I want to change in the way I think. The second way we sacrifice is we sacrifice through worship. The Bible talks about worship being a sacrifice. Uh, Romans 12, 1 says this, And so, dear brothers and sisters, I plead with you to give your bodies to God because of all he has done to you, done for you. Let them be a living and holy sacrifice, the kind he will find acceptable. This is truly the way we worship him. Worship isn't just about singing a slow song versus praise, which is singing a fast song, right? That's what we, that's what we grow up knowing. If you ever grew up in church, praise was all the fast songs, the first song you sing. And you always start with praise. You never start with worship, right? You can't start service with a slow song because the people are already sleepy at 10 o'clock in the morning. And if you start with a slow song, you'll never get them back up. And so you got to start with the fast song to get them up and pumped up. And then you bring in the slow stuff. Listen, that's not what worship is. Worship is anytime I lower myself and I lift him up. Worship is any time I put myself down so that I can pick him up. Worship is any time I am not the hero of the story, he is the hero of the story. And that's what worship is all about. That's why so many times in the Bible, there are so many words for worship that represent kneeling down or laying down. In the Bible, when they would worship God, they didn't always stand and clap. They did that some. Oftentimes, they would kneel down or they would lay all the way down on their face. Why? They wanted to get as low as possible so that he could be elevated higher and higher. I want to get myself out of the way as much as I can so that he can be promoted more than me. So when I worship God, it's a sacrifice. It's a sacrifice to do what? It's a sacrifice of my own pride because I take the lowest spot so that he can have the highest place. The third way we can sacrifice is we can sacrifice with obedience. There's a story in the Bible of a, a king named Saul, and Saul uh, really messed up in, in, a, in a royal way. That's my dad joke for today. Um, he was a king. Nobody got that except for me. Awesome. Um, so, so kings, get it? King Saul, royal? No, never mind. All right. 
So, so Saul messes up, and the Bible says he's confronted by God on his mess up. And, 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 and uh, a priest named Samuel is the one confronting him. And here's what Samuel says in 1 Samuel 15, 22. Uh, Samuel says, what is more pleasing to the Lord? Your burnt offerings and sacrifices or your obedience to his voice? Listen, obedience is better than sacrifice and submission is better than offering uh, the fat of rams. In other words, what Samuel's saying is, yeah, man, it's great that you're killing a bunch of animals, but you don't mean it. I don't care if you kill a bunch of animals if you're not obeying God. If Samuel was talking to us today, he would say, look, Gabriel, it's great that you had a bunch of people show up to your church. But it doesn't mean anything if you're not obeying me, if you're not living for me outside of the pulpit. It's great that you showed up on an Easter Sunday morning and you put on your nice clothes for some of you, right? Some of us just showed up like we normally do, and I love it. I love it. My wife made me wear these pants, and then she went home to take care of my kid. I don't have on my blue jeans. I feel very uncomfortable. And so, so we show up, and God's like, yeah, that's great that you did all that, but it doesn't mean anything if you're not obeying my voice. Obedience is better than killing a bunch of animals. Why? Because obedience is a sacrifice. Obedience is the sacrifice of my plans in order to gain his purpose. Luke twenty two forty two. Jesus is about to go to the cross to sacrifice himself for us. And here's what he says. He says, Father, if you're willing, please take this cup of suffering away from me. Yet I want your will to be done, not mine. Jesus says, I'm going to sacrifice my will. I'm going to sacrifice my desire so that I can get your plans. In 1 John chapter 2, verses 3, and 3 through 6, it says this. And we can be sure that we know him if we obey his commandments. If someone claims I know God but doesn't obey God's commandments, that person is a liar and not living in the truth. But those who obey God's word truly show how completely they love him. This, that is how we know that we're living in him. Those who say they live in God should live their lives as Jesus did. Obedience, following Christ in and of itself, is a sacrifice. So let me give you finally, I'm going to shut it down here. My last three. My last three. I want to give you three truths about sacrifice. So we've talked about what Jesus said about following him, basically saying that to follow him is a sacrifice. We talked about three different ways we can sacrifice. We said that, that we can repent, we can worship, we can obey. Those are all areas of sacrifice in our life. Now let me give you three truths about sacrifice that I think are important for us to know. The first truth is this. Sacrifice is going to cost you something. Sacrifice is going to cost you something. I'm super excited that I don't smell nasty things in the fridge anymore. But I have now sacrificed the fact that I drink rotten milk, right? That's my, it cost me something, right? Obviously not that much. In, in, uh, in 2 Samuel chapter 24, verse 24, the, the Bible says this. David, we're going back to King David. David has a problem. There, there's been sin in the land, and there is um, an outbreak of sickness in the land, in his country. And, and so David is going to, he wants to stop the outbreak of sickness by making a sacrifice to God. And, and he wants this to be a special deal. And so he goes to make a sacrifice. But in order to do it, he needs to purchase a piece of land from this guy. And, uh, and so he goes to this guy named um, Aurana. Doesn't matter what his name is. Ari. We'll call him Ari. He goes to Ari and he says, Ari, I want to buy this land. And Ari's like, heck no, man. I'm not going to make the king pay for anything. Like, you're the king. You can have the land. And David responds like this. He says, no, verse 24, I insist on buying it. This is so cool. For I will not present burnt offerings to the Lord my God that have cost me nothing. 
David said, I will not sacrifice something that costs me nothing. I will not sacrifice something that costs me nothing. My wife always laughs at me whenever she comes home and I talk about how many sacrifices I made at the house that day to to make her have a better life. And I'll tell her how I washed the dishes. And she'll say, in the dishwasher that I loaded, all you did was put the soap in and press the start button. I was like, yeah, but I had to press the start button. Like, that had to happen, right? That's not a sacrifice. That's not a sacrifice. It didn't cost me anything to press the start button. It it didn't cost me anything to do that. Sacrifice must cost us something. Whenever God calls you to a life of sacrifice, it's going to cost you something. Why would you ever give him something that didn't cost you anything anyway? Have you ever had someone give you a gift for Christmas or your birthday, and then you re-gift it to someone else? And they're like, oh man, this is such a great gift. And you're like, yeah, yeah, it is. It didn't cost you anything, so it's easy to give it away. But if it's something that you paid for, if it's something that you really wanted, and now you give it away, now it costs you something. That's why whenever we read the story about Jesus, people always talk about that story about how Jesus cleaned out the temple. Do you guys remember that? The Bible says he braided a whip and he goes through the temple and there's all these animals and these people, they call them money changers. And he's flipping tables. Y'all seen this? There's lots of memes about it. And he's like whipping all these animals and, and he hits a few people in the, in the, in the process. And so um, he gets all these people out of the temple. And we're like, why did Jesus go berserk in the temple? Why did he clean out the temple? What was that all about? It was about this, that people were showing up to make sacrifices to worship God with their sacrifices, but they didn't have anything to sacrifice. They showed up with nothing. And so these guys would show up at the temple and they would bring old uh, a dove with maybe like one wing, right? And, and maybe, you're supposed to have a, maybe you're supposed to have a lamb that was spotless lamb and they would come in with the lamb and it would have a few spots on it. And so they'd slap a little white paint on the lamb and, and they were selling crippled animals and, and they were selling all this stuff that, that wasn't a proper sacrifice. And these guys were buying them pretty cheap and they would go make these sacrifices that didn't cost them anything because they wanted to go to the, through the ritual and the routine. They didn't want it to cost them anything. But a sacrifice is going to cost you something. Sometimes we read the story of Cain and Abel. Maybe you've heard that story. The first two brothers in the Bible. The Bible says Adam and Eve had two sons. One named Cain, one named Abel. The Bible says that Cain and Abel show up to God and they bring an offering. And and when they bring an offering, God rejects Cain's offering but accepts Abel's offering. Cain gets mad, kills Abel. It's the first murder in the Bible. If you've never heard the story, that's basically how it goes. And people are like, I don't understand God. Why did he reject one and accept the other? Well, if you look in the details of the story, the Bible says that Abel was a shepherd and Abel brought the firstborn of his flock. He he brought to God the very best animal he had and sacrificed it to God. It says that Cain brought some of the vegetables of his garden. See, there's a difference. There's a difference in bringing God the best And bringing God just some, right? Just some. Cain was like, oh, here's some some rutabagas. Don't really like those anyway. How about some carrots? They're nasty, right? I'll keep the sweet potatoes. Those taste pretty good. Brussels sprouts. Take those to God, right? Abel's bringing the very best that he's got. Cain's bringing some of the garbage fruit from his garden, right? And then we wonder why God rejects one and not the other. God doesn't care about what you bring physically. He cares about the heart behind it. Are you bringing your best? Did it cost you something? 
When you show up at church, God doesn't care that you show up at church. It doesn't cost you anything. He cares. He cares. Are you bringing him your very best? Are you bringing him your very best? The second thing that sacrifice, the truth about sacrifice is that sacrifice happens every day. This is what I love about the Bible. The Bible gives us the Old Testament. The Old Testament has a lot of things that happen in ritual and tradition that reflect what's going to happen in spiritual in the New Testament. So we, hit, we have the ritual and tradition of the sacrifice in the Old Testament reflecting the spiritual of Jesus dying on the cross for our sins, right? So it reflects the, the other. But in the Old Testament, they would, they would often have certain days of sacrifice, but really, really, um, sacrifice happens every day. In our life today, it happens every day. Jesus said this in Luke chapter 9, and I'm almost done, I promise. Luke 9, verses 21 through 25. Jesus warned his disciples not to tell anyone who he was. The Son of Man must suffer many terrible things, he said. I love this. I included this in here. I didn't, I didn't have to include this in here. I could have just said the, the, the main part, but I wanted to include this in here because I want you to understand what Jesus is talking about. The context is important here. Jesus is telling his disciples, the Son of Man, talking about himself, must suffer many terrible things. He will be rejected by the elders, the leading priests, and the teachers of the religious law. He will be killed, but on the third day he will be raised from the dead. Then he said to the crowd, if any of you wants to be my follower, you must give up your own way, take up your cross daily and follow me. If you try to hang on to your life, you will lose it. But if you give up your life for my sake, you will save it. And what do you benefit if you gain the whole world, but are yourself lost or destroyed? Jesus gives him this whole spill about what's going to happen to him. I'm going to die. I'm going to be a sacrifice. I'm going to give up my life. I'm going to die on a cross, but I'm going to come back after three days. And then he looks at them and says, if you want to be my follower, you got to be just like me, but you got to do it every single day. Every single day, you got to give up your life. Every single day, you got to pick up your cross. Every single day, there's a sacrifice that has to be made. I, I, have, a, I have a desire. I, I, look at, I look at my dad. My dad is 71, 2. I don't know. He's in his 70s. He's old. He's old. He's older than me, so he's really old, right? Because I feel like I'm old. But I look at my dad. Like My dad goes to the gym. My dad works out. My dad has property. He's always out doing stuff and cutting trees and doing things. And, and my dad is very healthy um, and, and very mobile at his age. And I have this desire, right? I have this, this desire to be that way when I'm 70. I don't feel like I'm going to make it right now. Like I'm struggling, but, but I want to be that way one day whenever I'm older. But here's the thing. It takes a daily sacrifice. There are certain things that I cannot eat on a daily basis. There are certain things, activities that I must pursue on a daily basis. It takes daily sacrifice in order to get something that I want to achieve one day. You want to retire one day. You want to, you want to you know, quit your job one day. You don't just retire because you come out and you claim, I'm retired, right? You would also be saying, I'm broke. No, no, you retire because every day you set aside some money. Every, every year you're setting aside a little bit of money so that you can retire one day. There are daily sacrifices. It may mean that you can't go to Starbucks every, every day. It, it may mean that you can't buy that, that brand new car and you've got to buy a used car so that you can have what it takes to be able to get what you want one day. There are daily sacrifices that have to be made to achieve something in the future. Listen, your spiritual life is the exact same way. If there's something you want... There are daily sacrifices that have to be made to get it. Here's the last one. Every sacrifice leads to a reward. Here's the feel-good part. Every sacrifice leads to a reward. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 2 says this. We do this by keeping our eyes on Jesus, the champion who initiates and perfects our faith. 
And, and that part is, is good, but this is the part I want you to listen to. Because of the joy awaiting him, he endured the cross, disregarding its shame. Now he's seated in the place of honor beside God's throne. In other words, Jesus didn't just go to the cross because he thought it was a good idea. He understood it was bad. He understood it would hurt. We already read where Jesus said, if there's any way for this to be taken away from me, can you take it away from me? But Jesus looked at sacrifice and he saw that there was another side to sacrifice, that on the other side of that sacrifice... There was a reward. There was joy waiting on him on the other side of the sacrifice. What is the joy that was waiting on Jesus? You were. You were. You were. You're the joy that he was looking at when he went to the cross. The Bible says that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. When he went to the cross, he wasn't just looking at Peter, James, and John. He wasn't just looking at the, at the Roman soldiers or the Jewish religious leaders. He was looking through time and he was looking at me and he was looking at you. And he said, this is the joy. This is the reason. I'll sacrifice everything. I'll die on the cross because I see Brandon in 2022 and I want him. His life. He looked ahead at a joy. So what does that mean for me? Listen. There's a joy for me too. There's a hope for me too. There's a reward for me too. Because I've told you all the sacrifices that need to be made. And now I'm going to tell you about the hope on the other side of those sacrifices. See, Jesus didn't just die. He rose again. If he would have just died, that would have been good. That would have been a covering for our sins. That would have been great. But he rose again to show us that we can have a new life. He rose again. He was born again from the ground. He came back. And listen, he showed us that. He gave us that as our hope that, yes, we will all die. The Bible says every one of us will die. That's part of God's plan. But here's the thing. There can be a new life, an eternal life on the other side of death. And when he died and rose again, he defeated death so that you and I, so that you and I can have life eternally after this one. But it's going to take a sacrifice to get there. First Peter, I want to read this to you and then and then I'm going to I'm going to end the message. First Peter 1. It's a little bit long, but just stay with me on this one. 3 through 9. Praise be to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In His great mercy, He has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. This inheritance is kept in heaven for you who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. In all this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while you may have to have um, may have to have suffer a little grief. I mean, suffer grief of all kinds of trials. These have come so that the proven genuineness of your faith, of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. Though you have not seen him, you love him, and even though you do not see him now, you believe in him and are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy. For you are receiving the end result of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Jesus says, I mean, Peter is saying here, he's saying, listen, if you'll just be faithful, if you'll just be faithful, 
Belief isn't a one-time thing. Belief isn't something you did when you were 12 years old at an altar. Belief isn't about raising your hand and praying the prayer and checking the box. Belief is about an everyday faithfulness to God. It's an everyday sacrifice. I sacrifice my desire to have His plan and His will for my life. I sacrifice my sin so that I can have His freedom and His joy. And, and, and Peter is saying this. He's saying, listen, you may suffer for a little bit. It may not be easy. It may be hard. This is the same guy that's about to be crucified himself, just like Jesus, right? And he says, he says but listen, if you'll just hang in there, you'll see the end result of your faithfulness is the salvation of your soul. It's heaven. Our hope and our joy is freedom from sin and shame here on earth. It's the Spirit of God living in us and through us here on earth. And it's eternal life after death. I want to end very quickly by, by telling you this. The song y'all sang up here earlier, Gyra. Gyra comes from a place in, um, in, in the book of Genesis. There was a guy named Abraham. Abraham had been given a promise of a son, right? An heir. And Abraham, like most of us, could not be patient with God. And so Abraham took matter into his own hands, him and his wife. They tried to have a, a child by another woman, and, and, and it just created a whole mess, which is just like us, right? Like, that's just like me. Whenever I try to do things my way instead of God's way, I create such a mess. And, and sin steps into my life, and that's what happened with Abraham. And, and he just, he kind of botches the plan um, as it's going there. But God is faithful, and God says, listen, I know you messed that up, but I still got a plan for you. And so eventually Abraham has a child with his wife, and, and this one is the promised son. And so for years, God is building faith in Abraham. He's called the father of our faith. And, and for years, he builds the faith of Abraham, even to the point where, where God says, you're going to have to send this first son away. Like he, the Ishmael, he cannot be with the family. He's going to have to go start his own clan. He's going to have to go start his own family. Like he can't stay around because, because the more he stays around, the more he's going to influence Isaac, who's the promised son. And, and, and I got to get him out of here so that, so that Isaac can be, can be right and, and really lead the, the way for what I've got for you, Abraham. But then one day God comes to Abraham with this terrible, terrible idea. And he says, listen, Abraham, I want you to sacrifice. I want you to sacrifice. Not your favorite lamb and not your favorite bull. He says, I want you to sacrifice your son, Isaac, the promised one. The one you've waited for so long. The one you tried to manipulate and the one you tried to, to, to force and none of that worked. But it was only by my hand, it was only by my miracle could this son even be born. And God says, I want you to sacrifice this son. And again, this is another idea, another building and testing of Abraham's faith. And so Abraham takes his son Isaac. And, and really, a lot of times we, we put the emphasis on Abraham. But, but many scholars say that Isaac was probably old enough at this point to, to maybe even be in his, in his 20s, maybe his 30s. He could have been, he could have been in his early thirties at this point. And, and so the Bible says that Abraham and Isaac, they, they travel for three days. Isn't it interesting that, that Jesus, the story of Jesus, um, death, burial, and resurrection happens over the course of three days. And, and the Bible says that Abraham and Isaac travel for three days and they get to a mountain, um, in, in a place that would one day become Jerusalem, which is another amazing coincidence, right? How did God plan this? I don't know. He's amazing. And, and so Jerusalem, the same city that Christ was, was, um, killed in. And so Jesus shows up, I mean, Abraham, shows up with Isaac and they climb up on top of this mountain and the Bible says that that Isaac is put on the altar to be sacrificed 
Now imagine with me, like whenever we think of Isaac being sacrificed, all the, all the old Bible story, you know, the Bible books, the, the, the kids' Bibles, he's always like this little bitty kid. Like he doesn't know any better, you know. But imagine if he's 30, 31, 32, 33. He knows what's happening. He's no dummy. Like he literally has to get himself up on the, up on the table here probably. Think about that for a second. Isaac is willing to sacrifice everything for the obedience to God's voice. The Bible says that Abraham takes out a knife and he goes to raise the knife and he's about to stab Isaac. But just as he does, the Bible says an angel interferes and an angel stops him and God begins to speak to him and says, I I see your faithfulness. I see how much faith you have that you are willing to give anything for me because, because Abraham even told the servants that went with him, he said, we will come back. Both of us will come back down this mountain. Abraham had this thought that even if I have to kill my son, God will raise him back up from the dead. Abraham knew that God was, was big and there was a reward for a sacrifice. But God stops him. He never has to actually sacrifice his son. And then the Bible says something interesting. It says that Abraham looked over and in the bushes next to him was a ram caught by his horns. And and God says, sacrifice the ram. And so Abraham goes and he takes the ram and he sacrifices the ram. And that ram stood as a substitute for Isaac. He was a substitute for Isaac. Jesus is a substitute for me and you. We deserve death. We deserve death. But Jesus is the ram in the bushes that was sacrificed on a hill near Jerusalem for our sins to give us new life. And it was on that day, it was on that day that Abraham first called God Jireh. He called him Jehovah Jireh, the Lord who provides. Why don't you stand up with me this morning?